am Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Melissa Parrish. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by Vice President and Principal Analyst Brandon Purcell to discuss the topic of fairness in AI. Welcome, Brandon. Hi, thanks for having me. So I just sort of teed up this topic in which the topics of fairness in AI were in that statement. And both of those things probably need a bit of definition or context. What exactly are we going to be talking about today? What is the box that we are putting fairness in AI around? Well, it's a big and loaded question. Um, I'll start with AI because we have a published definition of AI. AI refers to the theory and capabilities that strive to mimic human intelligence through experience and learning. Um, And the reason that we're talking about fairness in AI is because today's AI is learning. It's learning from data. And there is unfairness or bias inherent in the data it's learning from, and it's learning that bias. And so what this research set out to do is to really explain what fairness means, which is a challenge because from a mathematical perspective, there are 21 different mathematical representations of fairness. So it's easy to say we want to be fair in the AI systems that we're creating, but what that actually means and practicing it consistently in your internal processes can be quite challenging. Just to level set as we get into this conversation, why does the company want to do this? How can how can AI bias uh, negatively impact an organization? Is it this is the is it really that bad if we don't do this question? Yeah, so there are a multitude of reasons that companies need to do this and many different potential negative consequences. Um, Starting from a regulatory perspective, I mean, the first place to look in terms of regulations would be Europe, where the AI Act is going to come into fruition next year. And companies that are found to be in violation of that act, including discriminating um, based on artificial intelligence, could be fined. Uh, 6% of global turnover or 30 million euros, whichever is greater. So a real uh, bottom line impact there. Um, And in the United States, even though there's not as holistic of an approach to regulating AI at the federal level, there are existing regulations like the Fair Credit Reporting Act and the Equal Credit Opportunity Act that apply to AI. So Companies need to be thinking about this um, from a regulatory perspective. But even if you're not in a a regulated industry, you don't want your company name on the front page of the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal um, talking about how you're making biased or discriminatory decisions with your AI. Um, What we found is in our research at Forrester, there is um, an emerging and quite large group of customers that we call values-based consumers who make their decisions based upon whether or not a company's values align with their own. And um, I think that companies who do make these discriminatory decisions will find that um, customers will take their money elsewhere. And finally, um, I don't wanna just focus on the stick. There's a real carrot here in terms of of fairness. Um, I've spoken to a number of banks who are thinking about their credit determination algorithms and they've used the same algorithms to determine who gets access to certain financial services for quite a while. And they're thinking about becoming more inclusive and changing the way that they make those determinations. And by doing so, they're actually increasing their total addressable market 
for their products and services. And the same thing, um, the same kind of carrot exists in hiring as well. I mean, hiring is one of the places where this comes up quite a bit. And if you are starting to be more inclusive and fairer in your hiring practices, you're necessarily hiring more diverse people. And diversity leads to greater creativity and a plurality of voices within your company. Um, so there are real advantages to this, as well as kind of the CYA uh, reasons for doing this as well. So I wanted to just go back for a second, if we can, because mm -hmm. uh, you, you've given us a lot of great information about sort of why we should care and and how making poor decisions or decisions based on biased AI can um, negatively impact businesses. I think maybe for our listeners, we should give an example or two. What what kinds of decisions are we talking about? What does it look like when AI is biased? Can you give us an example of that? Or maybe, or even an example of what we're not talking about, just to kind of focus in on, on what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, a number, a couple of years ago, um, it was found out that Amazon was trying to create an AI system um, to determine which candidates um, to to hire, uh, and the AI system was was reading resumes, and it was able to discern from those resumes uh, male versus female candidates, and it was actually deprioritizing female candidates. And to Amazon's credit, they tried. Uh, many different methods of eradicating this bias, but it persisted. And the reason that the bias persisted is because there is a big gender disparity in tech. And the AI algorithm, like a good AI algorithm, identified that disparity as a potential signal or predictor of who's likely to be hired and exploited it. And if Amazon had actually used this system, and again, to their credit, they didn't, but if they had, it would have actually perpetuated this type of bias in a, a vicious cycle. Um, so that type of bias is what we refer to as algorithmic bias, which is actually a bit of a misnomer. Um, it's not the algorithm that's biased, it's the data. The data, there are certain classes or groups of people that are underrepresented in that data. And so the algorithm that's built on that data isn't gonna do very well when presented with those types of people. So there, there is another example here that is, that is equally, if not more horrifying, but um, showcases a different type of, of bias that can uh, impact algorithms. Last year, it was found that Optum Health was using AI for what on its face is a very noble cause. They wanted to use AI to predict the likelihood that a patient would get sicker um, so that they could intervene proactively and, and um, uh, for a positive health result. And they didn't actually have a data point in their data that was the level of sickness for someone. So they used a proxy, which was the amount of money spent to care for somebody. Um, the more money spent, the sicker an individual was likely to be. But for various reasons, historically, more money has been spent caring for white patients than black patients. And so when the algorithm was fed the data, it actually ended up assigning white patients who were less sick than black patients, a higher risk score, and black patients who were much sicker than their white counterparts, a lower risk score. In other words, the analysis found that um, if Optum had continued to use the system, 18 to 46% of black patients would not have received adequate care. Um, and this is a real problem. And so companies have to be very, very careful about what they're actually trying to predict in a data scientist's terms, the objective function that they're actually trying to maximize or, or minimize. 
So let's get down to it. I mean, what should organizations be doing to avoid bias in their algorithms to, you know, avoid some of the scenarios that you had have just shared with us? Well, they, I mean, they need to be assessing for bias or on the flip side for fairness. And as I mentioned before, that's a challenging thing to do because although most companies would say they want to be fair, what does that actually mean? There are over 20 different mathematical representations of fairness. What my research has found is that they largely boil down into two different types. On the one hand, you have um, fairness criteria that focus on the equality of treatment equalizing the treatment of different groups of people. And on the other hand, you have fairness criteria that looks at the outcomes and is more focused on equity of outcomes. So let me give you an example. We'll, We'll turn to hiring like the Amazon example before. If you wanted to optimize for the equality of treatment by that algorithm, you would look at the accuracy of that algorithm vis-a-vis males, females, white people, black people, all the various different groups. And you would wanna say, okay, if somebody is qualified, they should have an equal likelihood of getting hired no matter what group they come from. That's equality of treatment. Now you can imagine from a data science perspective, there are lots of different ways of gauging accuracy. Is it equalizing the true positive rate the false positive rate, et cetera. That's why there are so many, but really it's all about treatment by the algorithm. On the other hand, there's a school of thought that says, okay, that's great, but we know that data is fraught with challenges. And so if we're just optimizing for accuracy, the bias inherent in that data is still gonna infiltrate the algorithm. So instead we wanna look at the outcomes. And if we have 50% female candidates applying and 50% male candidates applying, well, then we should hire 50% females and 50% males. And so we're, we're creating equity in the actual outcome. So those are the two kind of schools of thought, and there are various different um, mathematical criteria for optimizing those things. Um, now, what I've just set up, I have to admit, is turns out to be a bit of a false dilemma. So to answer your question, Jennifer, what a company should be doing is actually looking at all of those different criteria and assessing the impact on different groups, not just the large groups, not just males and females, or African-Americans and white people, but also looking at intersectionality. So what is the accuracy rate for white males versus black males versus black females versus white females? And then seeing where the biggest deltas or differences are and determining, okay, what level of difference are we actually okay with here? or explaining it or putting guardrails around it um, to ensure that there isn't um, discrimination at those levels. So then maybe the the harder question that is harder because it's about people and easier because it's not about um, math and code (laughs) uh, and algorithms, but at, at both sides of this discussion, are people, right? Which is yeah. very easy to lose sight of because we're talking about fairness and AI and it's it sounds very technical. It is technical. It is scientific. But you've got people building the algorithms and making the decisions about them. And then as you described with Amazon and Optum Health, you have people being affected by the output on either side. So knowing that people are flawed in innumerable ways, um, some known, some unknown. How do we how do we limit our exposure to 
human caused problems at the beginning of the algorithm. Yeah. I love that you just emphasized at the beginning, Melissa, it's so important to start this AI life cycle by bringing in a diverse group of viewpoints and talking about this potential AI use case. One, does it even make sense to use AI for this use case or is it too fraught? I mentioned the European AI Act before. Um, there is a set of use cases there that are totally off limits that no companies can use in Europe. Um, and I think that companies should start to think, does it make sense to actually outsource a very important decision to a computer? So that's the first thing. The second thing is, okay, let's decide, we've decided that we want to use AI uh, to make these decisions. How could it negatively impact different groups? Now, in many of these rooms, when this conversation is happening, people look like us. I mean, all of us on this podcast today, we are, we're Caucasian, we're, you know, of a certain age. Um, and when you, everybody looks the same in the room, that means there are significant blind spots in that room. So you need to bring in other more diverse perspectives, especially the various stakeholders who are going to be impacted by the algorithm and ask them, okay, where is a potential harm? And once you have that, then you can start to decide, okay, what is, what are the right types of fairness that we need to, uh, need to optimize for? So Melissa teed you up beautifully to talk about the beginning, you know, of the AI life cycle, but let's, can you maybe step us through, like, what about the rest of the, the AI life cycle? What should the organization or data scientists or whomever, you know, are leading these efforts be doing there? Yeah, sure. So um, just to talk about people, I mean, the data scientists should not be in charge of identifying what is uh, fair and what is not. They can measure it. But really, it needs to come from much higher, the determination of, okay, this is what is fair for this use case based on the various stakeholders that we've spoken to from diverse, um, diverse groups. Then it's the data scientist's job to actually build the thing, right? And as I mentioned before, that starts with data. And so first, identify, is there algorithmic bias in this data? You know, is there equal representation of different groups? Does that representation reflect their overall representation in the universe? Chances are no. So I've spoken to a number of companies who are actually starting to avail themselves of synthetic data um, using AI to create AI, AI to actually boost the signals of these groups that are underrepresented within the data to ensure that the algorithm actually picks up on that signal and does a good job when confronted with, um, with folks from those groups. So that's, that's one thing that's kind of emerging in this, in this area. Um, we talked about how to, you know, how to assess the models, but then once you actually launch the models, it's really important to monitor them because as we know, um, AI models, their performance changes over time. And so a model that actually wasn't biased when we, um, when we deployed it may actually become biased over time because different things changed in the market and the environment. And one other thing that's emerged is, is really interesting to me. Last year, Twitter was the first company to um, launch what, what's called a bias bounty. So in the world of software development, bug bounties have been around for quite some time where you basically crowdsource the identification of, of bugs to people. And in this case, it's crowdsourcing the identification of, of bias. And so Twitter launched a competition and a person um, identified that their photo cropping algorithm 
was focusing on lighter skinned, younger individuals and not on darker skinned or older individuals. And so it was inherently biased. And they paid this person, I think the prize was 3,500 bucks. Um, but I mean, that seems like a very small investment to identify um, a systemic bias in the Twitter user experience. And that wasn't the only one, by the way, they had hundreds of submissions and places to go look to see if there was actually bias and try to eradicate it. Um, so one of our predictions actually for um, 2022 is we think that about half a dozen companies, probably tech companies like Twitter, will start to institute bias bounties. And it's something that I certainly hope will take off because again, you want a diversity of perspectives um, and you can't have everybody in the room when you're conceiving of this, but in a sense you can when you're actually deploying it and you can identify these things um, before they start to snowball and negatively impact a large group of people. So that sounds like an awful lot of work, Brandon. Who's who's on the hook for this? <laughs> who's in charge of this thing? So um, even though this is a very, you know, in some ways, a very technical conversation that we're having, um, again, it can't be the data scientists or the developers who are who are on the hook for this. They are in, on the hook for measuring, but really for um, defining and ensuring adherence to this entire process across the AI lifecycle. That really has to be the the business owner, the person who owns the ultimate decision that's being made based on artificial intelligence. So in hiring the head of HR, in credit determination, whoever's owns, um, you know, determining credit for that specific product um, within the bank. Um, these are the people who are ultimately going to be on the hook. And if there is bias, they're the people who are going to have to answer for it. Are you seeing new roles crop up because this is gaining momentum within firms? Yeah, we, we certainly are. We're seeing the emergence of a chief ethics officer, um, somebody who is actually um, creating the policies and processes for ensuring that you know, fairness is, um, is adhered to throughout the AI lifecycle like we've been talking about. And there are the, the folks who are actually well-versed in you know, the technical side, here are the different measurements of fairness. And they're the ones who are saying, okay, here are the you know, uh, fairness criteria we need to optimize for for these specific use cases. So today we've obviously been talking about fairness in AI, but it does make me think and probably others on this episode, like could some of these learnings or processes approaches be applied to other areas of the business to make sure that, you know, fairness is top of mind or decisions are more equitable. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you think about the Amazon example, actually trying to create that AI system, underline the fact that there is a gender disparity in their hiring practices. And now, you know, I don't know if they've done anything about that, but if I were a head of HR at Amazon, I would start to say, okay, what, what can we do to make this more equitable? And I'm really excited because I think that this conversation that we're having about fairness in AI is a catalyst for a broader conversation about fairness that in many ways is, is long overdue. And we can start to use AI to identify places where we've missed the mark. And we've not intentionally, but potentially um, made biased decisions sy systemically in the past. And we can start to fix that. Um, and so all of these fairness criteria I've spoken about before aren't just unique to AI. We can, we can apply them across the board to decisions that we're making. Um, and we can start to hopefully make the world a, a fairer place, one decision at a time. 
Thanks so much for joining us today, Brandon. Great. Thanks for having me. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.